Welcome everybody to the HIP 51 to 53 panel. This panel is a follow-up to a Twitter space that we did last week where we had some ecosystem partners explain how they're interacting with this new architecture, this new vision for the Helium ecosystem. And we also explained what HIP 51 through 53 are. And up here today, we have some of the authors of HIP 51, including James and Tushar and Abai's on there. So that's hash code for anyone who doesn't know. I want to use this time as efficiently as possible. Since we have the authors up here, I want to get as many community questions in as possible. If you want to recap on what HIP 51 is, I'm going to refer you to that previous Twitter space. So that Twitter space is on the official Helium account at Helium. And in that, I give an intro. I read aloud the intro to HIP 51 from the actual HIP itself. And I also gave my own summary. And we sort of went over some of the sub DAOs that are proposed in addition to the ones that you are all familiar with, which are LoRaWAN and 5G or cellular. Before we get into questions, I'd like to invite anybody on this panel to give an update on what the latest status of these HIPs is in your own words. And what should we be looking out for as we're looking at the latest revisions of these proposals? What is being iterated on? What are the changes? I'm happy to chime in here. Uh, so I think HIP 51, uh, as shared on GitHub, is uh, basically final from a like words perspective. Real HIPs have code. So you know, I can't say it's, it's ready for like a formal vote as, as a full HIP. But I can say that you know, I think the ideas are all there. I also think HIP 52, the ideas are all there for the LoRaWAN subdow expecting a uh, full new draft of HIP 53, which will be the 5G or the mobile um, sub-DAO to be updated this week, potentially today, otherwise tomorrow. Uh, and that will be a substantial update from what's currently on GitHub. So, you know, this has been a months-long process. Seen the work along the way. Uh, community's been able to see the, the work in progress and comment on it along the way. And, you know, I especially want to thank all the community members who provided suggestions. Uh, that has been really helpful. And I think, you know, we're finally here. All of the pieces like kind of work together and they're cohesive uh, from a vision and design perspective, in my opinion. Great. Yes, this has been a long process for sure. I don't even know how many months the channels have been open at this point. And we're up to hip 60 even, and we are still working on, on the 50s and even some of the 40s. But yes. Things are looking much better. All right. So in the interest of using time as efficiently as, as possible, I'd like to get to some of the questions since this is an AMA that were submitted through the form. So thank you to everyone who submitted questions. We picked what we thought were the best questions, and I'll be asking those to the panel right now. So the first question is, will these hips be built? on the current network, or do you plan on using something else? If it is something else, what will you use? I mean, I, can, I guess I can take a shot at, at trying to answer that. Um, I, I think to start with, we've, we've got to do it a little bit in phases. Um, you know, there's discussion about, you know, what the right, um, you know, the, the hips sort of contemplate using a, a high-speed L1, and, you know, there's some discussion about what that should be and how that should work. 
Uh, I think from my point of view, the concern would be that if we, if we try and make the first step too big, uh, it will be very, very difficult for us to ever get started. Um, so I, I think what's likely to happen is that we would do a version of an implementation using the current chain um, and in parallel start to evaluate um, other other options. You know, some people have suggested, for example, using Cosmos and some people have suggested Solana. And, you know, there's some good discussion in, in the hip channels about what to use. But I, I think there needs to be uh, an easier way for us to get started because aside from the work of actually implementing the the smart contracts or the code on the L1, there's the whole migration process, right? And, and that alone might be quite complicated because you've got to get exchanges to move. You've got to figure out wallet compatibility. Um, you've got to figure out what to do with validators and their staking. You know, th there's a lot of migration questions that are sort of logistics separate from the actual code that has to be built. So I, I think at least what I'm advocating for is to just start with a, with a way to sort of implement the simplest version of uh, what HIP51 tries to do, you know, with the programmatic treasuries and implement the protocol score and implement the new token types, uh, but do that on our current chain and then look to to migrate over to to something else, whatever that something else may be as a as a second set of steps. Yeah, and to to add to that, you know, we're we're starting to uh, as a core dev team, we're starting to understand what that looks like, um, what pieces we want to take first, and um, my goal is that we actually create like a separate fishbowl channel um, that allows people to see that work um, and uh, and you know and and sort of tie any PRs you might see or any any like draft um, forks or, or sorry not forks but branches that you might see on on GitHub to like the actual work that's being done there. So uh, coming coming soon as as we sort of try to understand what we what the pieces are we want to build first. All right, great. The next question is, how would one describe these hips without using the language of crypto or finance? Is there a real world analog? That's an interesting question. Uh, I'll take a stab at that, um, and then hand it off uh, to anyone else who wants to. I would say that the way I would describe this hip um, for um. Uh, a traditional business perspective is that previously Helium was a company with a specific product. And this turns Helium into a conglomerate that has multiple divisions underneath it. Uh, and those multiple divisions can specialize to deliver products that uh, are you know, differentiated from each other. Yeah, I would, I would generally agree that it's, it's sort of like a, a if you thought about a traditional company, whether it's, you know, conglomerate, it's, it's a bit of a dirty word these days, but um, like you wouldn't have the same team working on every single project necessarily. You would have, you know, a project manager, you would have, you know, a design team, you'd have a dev team, you'd have a marketing team. And this cross-functional team, you know, would sort of work on, on, on this specific sort of macro project. So if you think about Google, you might have, you know, the traditional ad business as one team, you might have ad, uh, uh, Gmail as another team, project X as another team. Um, and it allows for these teams to sort of hyper-focus on that project at hand rather than sort of splitting that bandwidth, um, towards, towards everything. And of course, this is all being done in a decentralized way. So a lot, kind of less like a company, more like a DAO. They said no crypto phrases. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> you're right. 
<laughs> I'm too deep in it. All right, I think that was that was answered well. Why would new network operators set up their network as a Helium sub-DAO when they could set up their own independent network? Um, that's an interesting question. I don't think, one, that we're entirely relying on outsiders coming in to build this stuff. Like, there is an existing dev team, an existing community of contributors that's here already uh, and wants to build on this, as we've seen. Uh, but otherwise, like, you know, for new network builders, it, I would say that the big thing they get is they get a large established community. They get the uh, benefits of uh, data credits being usable across multiple networks, which I think is like pretty useful for the end customers and therefore provide some cross-selling benefits within the DAO. Uh, and I think the uh, kind of business model in a box idea where you need to define, you know, these specific uh, attributes of your sub DAO or your network, um, and as long as you can build it, you're off to the races. So it just helps, you know, building. It, it helps put it, put it, building these networks on rails, where you kind of have guidelines and you know what to do, and you can, you know, go and push along that if you can technically deliver, which I think is really helpful for especially some very deeply technical founders who may not know what else to do. And I think a lot of the value add and like revenue potential for all of these uh, protocols or, or, or use cases, depending on how, you know, we sort of think about sub DAOs, um, you know, they rely on an immense amount of sort of marketing sales and business development with established companies, established players that, um, you know, like as somebody that's run their own business, like at the end of the day, product is important, but distribution, sales, marketing, BD is the difference between a good idea that doesn't go anywhere and a good idea that, you know, can become market defining, uh, and being able to sort of cross leverage those relationships, uh, I think is, is really important. And if Helium as an organization or not organization as a network develops a sort of positive cache, a positive reputation. Um, it's a lot easier for that new network to onboard clients because they're not, you know, working with, you know, 15 different groups and working with a whole bunch of different relatively small groups. They're, they're, they have confidence in sort of the macro uh, network that is behind these, these protocols. And, you know, I think especially for what we're doing, it's so reliant on those large scale relationships in the long run, um, especially with 5G and things like that, that, you know, that is not really given enough weight uh, in the community, in my opinion, of, of how important that is. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really important that these companies want to work with truly established groups rather than working with a whole bunch of small groups. I think that's something I learned on our panel last week is that there is an amazing network effect that can be built between the projects in the Helium ecosystem and the people who want to do mining, whether that's Wi-Fi, 5G, LoRa, CDN, VPN. All these people are interested in participating in these decentralized networks and Helium kind of creates a central, a central location, not centralized, but a central location for everyone who's interested in that type of stuff to um, benefit from one another's knowledge and, and projects, basically. All right, this next question is a two-parter. I think we already asked the first part. It, the first part is what does a net, network of networks even mean? So I think we 
covered that well in uh, describing the hips without using the language of crypto or finance. But the second part is, does this affect what purpose, what the purpose of the network was from the get-go? Do these changes affect what the purpose of the network was from the get-go? I guess I'll try that one. Um, I don't think so. You know, if I think back to like what Helium as a company originally started out to do, uh, it was certainly very IoT centric, right? Like we we always viewed that as the, the sort of biggest gap in the in the market, and I still think that was that was right. Um, but as we moved into building the network and the the sort of crypto side of things, I, I think it became, I think, clear to us, or at least clear to me, that what we were building was sort of a a template that you could use for lots of other things, assuming that it worked, right? Like at the start, there were a lot of questions around whether this model would even work and, you know, would people participate in a network like this? And, you know, we're not the first to have attempted to build a community run network, but by any means. Um, and so there were, were a lot of, a lot of questions around that, but I think as those started to get answered, it became fairly obvious that what we had was sort of a blueprint for building decentralized networks that really could be of any kind, but particularly wireless networks. Um, so I, at least in my head, that was always part of the part of the thinking, right? That we would never really just stop at IoT. How you would get to the other types of networks was, was always a big question mark, right? Like back in 2018 or 2017, when we started work on this, uh, CBRS wasn't really a thing, for example, like Magma didn't exist, you know? So the pieces around like how you would actually go to market or how you would actually build this technology solution for something like cellular, was completely unknown, uh, but the idea that it could be done was was definitely something that we had in our heads. And things like Wi-Fi were sort of the next obvious uh, target. So I think the availability of CBRS, which is the unlicensed spectrum in the United States that we can run a cellular network in that is supported by like iPhones and Android devices, uh, and the availability of something like Magma, which is the open source protocol stack that um, that's used in the Freedom Fi devices. Like I, I think those things like meaningfully changed the ability for us to actually build something like this. Um, and so you have to be a little bit adaptive. You know, like I've sometimes seen the commentary that like, you know, why wasn't this all planned from the start? And that's part of the answer, right? Is that the, the landscape changes very, very quickly, and it's difficult to plan. I, I saw like I think it was Anatoly from Solana say that like anything more than a six-week roadmap in crypto is just a waste of time. And it's sort of true, right? Like the everything changes really, really quickly. And I think you've got to be able to like adapt and react. And, you know, several months ago, I went to Tushar and the multi-coin team. And I said, like, I think we, I think we're going to need some kind of separate token governance structure for each network because cellular won't be the last one. Um, and hip 51 is, is, is what everyone came back with, which I think is, is fantastic. So some of it certainly planned, some of it just sort of reacting to the availability of new technologies and, and regulatory changes like CBRS. And I think we always have to be able to, to be reactive like that. We can't plan too far ahead because we just don't know. And so Amir, do you think this new design is essentially taking the network to its logical conclusion? Whereas if it were more limited, maybe someone else would have taken the same model and built sort of a generic version of it. So if that's inevitable, why not just build the generic version as the next version? I'm not sure I understand the question. You guys said it differently. Sure. So there's this economic model of Helium, right? Where you have HNT and you have data credits and sort of the realization behind HIP51 is that that's applicable to a lot more than just these two wireless networks. So as part of the thinking to go to this generic model, because, you know, th this is 
what now that this this economic structure has been uncovered like this is what is sort of the natural end state is for it to be an open landscape where anyone can come in and participate in this type of economic model yeah i i, I certainly think so and, and that was sort of the realization for me right was that as we were thinking about 5g and cellular and like how that was all going to work it, it sort of became obvious that we couldn't one off the solution for cellular right because there was going to be inevitably like another thing right and and whether it was wi-fi or whether it was you know a decentralized vpn or a decentralized cdn or whether it's you know wi-fi 7 or 6g or you know there was always going to be something right that followed and so rather than try and create sort of a one-off solution for 5g where we you know we where we split hnt in half or something like that it, it sort of became obvious to me that we, sh we should have a better structure than that that allows the network to expand beyond just you know two hand-picked uh protocols because in the end you know helium really really could encompass anything that involves a distributed network of nodes. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing with like the boring protocol guys. And, you know, we've, we've talked to a handful of decentralized CDN providers, for example, which I think is also a really interesting application. Um, and so those are, are to me like exemplars of the fact that this actually does make sense, right? That there are lots of different use cases where a distributed network of nodes are, are needed. Uh, IoT was the start, cellular will be the second. And then, you know, who, who knows what, what comes after that. That's a great lead into the next question, which is, what is the relationship between all of the tokens? What is the value of HNT if I'll be mining network tokens instead? You can, I guess, jump in here a little bit. Um, what is key to making all of this work is that the purchasing of data, um, regardless of what the protocol, regardless of what the use case is, has to happen in terms of data credits, which can only be um, created via the burn of HNT. Um, and so while you might be earning this L2 uh, token or whatever, I guess we don't call it L2 anymore, but this, this sub-DAO specific token that is um, convertible into HNT, uh, every sub-DAO sort of follows that same funnel. So HNT is really capturing the data value of um of of all of the networks uh because you can't bypass that step when going to data purchases so it actually does nothing to the bme you know token economics model of hnt as it sits today it's effectively unchanged you're just um you know if you're i i don't foresee a lot of token earners necessarily also being the large scale purchases purchasers of data i think you know in my opinion that's going to be sort of large scale you know uh traditional companies and things like that in the long run um so yes you can convert from the you know sub dow to the hnt to dc um you know ideally in a somewhat automatic way if you need to but um you know most most groups that interact with the payment side of buying data will um, will still need to go through sort of the DC channel. They won't see any of that. They won't see the burning of HNT to DC necessarily, but but they still need to interact with that sort of base chain of HNT and DC. Uh, so it all it all sort of funnels back to that, regardless of what the sub DAO is. Yeah, to chime in there and explain it slightly differently. Uh, I, I see the tokens being split. In terms of their role, right? HNT serves the role of being the primary economic flywheel 
of the whole ecosystem. It's the economic engine that drives everything. Um, and so what James is saying is, you know, entirely correct around the data credit burn and burn and the burn and make equilibrium remains undisturbed, but these new subbed out tokens, uh, are essential for the governance and the management of each of the networks, uh, it, whether that's LoRaWAN, uh, 5G, Wi-Fi, CDN, VPN, all these things that, you know, uh, all these networks that, that we're talking about, uh, and that has some utility. It has some governance power. Uh, if you see in the 52 proposal, uh, we put in, uh, a mechanism by which staking that LoRaWAN token, uh, actually increases the number of challenges that a hotspot can participate in. So sub DAOs have the ability to include their governance token and interesting mechanics like that as well. Uh, but h and remains the primary economic engine and the reserve currency for all the sub-DAOs. And then a follow-up to that is, does all value accrue to the DNTs? Is there any reason to still hold h and I think James answered the latter part, but the first part. Yeah, I think the way to look at the automatic conversion um, is that it creates a floor, really, for the value of the the DNT token. Um, so if, you know, HNT is at a hundred dollars and it's a one to 10 automatic conversion rate, you're really saying, okay, well, the DNT has a value of about one tenth of an HNT, um, as far as the automatic sort of liquidity protocol goes, but it doesn't mean that the market can't value that differently. So let's say that there's one protocol that the market says, okay, this is going to be massive. This is going to be really hot. Um, I expect uh, a lot of uh, value to sort of go to that sub DAO via, you know, HNT going into its reserve over time. Um, therefore, you know, we're sort of forward pricing that that sub DAO token, and 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 uh, so so the conversion rate is really little more than a floor for that pricing, uh, the tokens can and often should have more value than the HNT, uh, or, or the sub DAOs as a whole should have more value than the HNT specifically. And it's, um, you know, reserve, you might look at that as like it's book value versus it's, you know, market value. Uh, so I, I do think, you know, a lot of the value ends up getting accrued to the, to the sub DAOs, um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that we also did was, you know, having sort of that one-way conversion uh, from sub-DAO tokens to the main HNT conversion. You can't go from HNT to sub-DAO token. Means that the only people that are initially getting deployed the DNTs are people that are, you know, mining that sub for that sub-DAO and providing value for that sub-DAO. So it's really up to them and gives them the value of that sub DAO and gives them the option of, do I hold this as a sub DAO token? Do I automatically convert it or do I go to the market and sell it at, you know, market rate, which, you know, could, and, and, and very possibly will be higher than, um, you know, the conversion rate. Yeah. To, to chime in here, um, I, I would say, uh, the, the short answer to that question is no, um, this does not mean that the. DNTs capture all the value and HMT no longer captures value. That, that is not correct, uh, because you do need to burn HMT to come up with data credits. 
It's the only way you can do that. And if you want to transfer data through any of the sub DAOs, you have to pay with data credits. So the same burden equilibrium is still there. The same value capture mechanism for HNT is still there. Uh, that's not changing. The incremental utility that is provided by the sub DAO tokens, the DNTs, should also capture incremental value. So our hope is that this proposal creates value or unlocks value through enabling more efficient coordination and, uh, you know, kind of unbundling the role that HMT was serving where previously it was governing everything. Um, and you know, everything was consolidated, uh, here by having more specialization, I think we end up with more value overall. Yeah, I guess I answered that sort of backwards, but you're right that there's, there's value sort of going to both places. I would, I would look at owning HMT as maybe. This is not a one to one comp, but like owning an index versus making a more focused uh, investment um, on, you know, a company within that index or a sector within that index that you think, you know, may or may not, you know, accrue uh, a little bit more value than the index as a whole. But they both, you know, the index still gains value from those sectors, you know, overperforming the entire index, whatever it is. And if a lot of value accrues to the DNT, from my understanding, it seems like uh, a lot of HNT will be locked up in those treasuries if people are not re redeeming the DNTs for HNT at, at as much of a high rate as would be expected. So that will essentially mean that the circulating supply of HNT will be reduced. Or not, not, okay. not increasing might be another way to look. Right, not increasing. Right. I just want to say, if there's a ton of demand for a DNT, like that is great for HNT and for Helium, because that incentivizes the build out of that network. And, you know, that that's letting the market have a voice in the market saying, Hey, we think this network is really important. Uh, and we think this is going to be valuable. So we want to incentivize more investment here. Uh, and so enabling the market to do that, I think it's very powerful. Agreed. All right. This next question is a two-parter. So I'll ask the first part first. Do you need to lock up VHNT into a DNP for any amount of time, or can it be moved between DNPs each epoch? My intention in the current proposal is that it can be moved. The VHNT is locked up, so you can't turn it back into HNT without going through the lockup period or the cooldown period. Uh, you know, the, the way that these V tokens usually work is they are, uh, there's like an unstaking period that you select. And based on the unstaking period that you select, the multiplier is larger or smaller. Um, and you can change your vote, right? So if you were staking your VHNT towards one sub DAO, you can change it and stake it to another without having to wait for the whole uh, lockup to end. But if you wanted to turn it back into regular HNT uh, so that you could trade it or transfer it, uh, then you would need to wait for the lockup to end. Okay, great. And then the second part is a question that I also have personally, which is what happens to the VHNT that's delegated to a DNP when it's time to vote? Do I need to undelegate that VHNT for the voting epoch or can I vote with delegated VHNT? To defer to the, the devs on the implementation of this, but intention is you should be able to vote with delegated VHNT. I think that's only fair, right? Like if you're, if you're delegating your VHNT, you should always be able to vote with that here. I, I think the sort of mecha, the reason why the 
you know, applying vote escrow uh, tokens to a particular sub network, like why that's interesting is really to signal interest in that sub network. Um, and like voting on governance, I think is, is sort of a separate action, right? And I think you should be allowed to do either. And I think the implementation should, should reflect that. Sorry, but sorry, either or both to be precise. Great. So the next question is a bit of a repeat, but I'd like if someone on the panel could maybe answer this in a very short of sort of short and summarized way, just because I think that for some people who are approaching this for the first time, I think hearing this explained from different angles could be really helpful to them. So the question is, will 5G be using a different token and can it be tied to HNT somehow? Uh, I could take that one. <laughs> so, uh, yes. The, the, the 5G sub DAO will have a different token, um, and it is connected back to HNT through, uh, the programmatic treasury. I think, uh, actually Max said something kind of interesting in the channel just now, which I think is really good, which is sort of like 5G token is a, is, is sort of a, a right to redeem your HNT from that treasury if you ever choose to, or it's, it's, uh, a, a token that you can use to lock up and, and and govern the, the sub-network that you have. Great. I think that's a good answer. Next question is, what is the value proposition for a DNP to join Helium instead of going on its own that offsets the negative effect of HST rent-seeking? HST is effectively a tax on DNPs that they can avoid by going independent. I don't think that last part was a question, more of a statement. I think we sort of covered this in the earlier question about um, the value to a new DMP, you know, being part of the helium network, but, you know, again, it, it's just creating the technology and, or the network has a ton of value only when it's in conjunction with being able to monetize that and being able to work under the umbrella of a highly established network like helium provides a ton of value and likely you know accelerates the time to being able to monetize that either use case or or protocol um and um yeah i think that's an unbelievable amount of value you know like if once we get this 5g hopefully poc out the ground and all that um I think that the demand for those units will be in far excess uh, of what it would be if it was just a separate network starting from scratch. And the demand for um, the bandwidth provided by those units will be in far excess compared to if the network was um, sort of created separately and on its own. So there's a massive amount of value of just being able to leverage the community and leverage the um, existing sort of reputation of, of the Helium network as a whole. Yeah. To chime in here, um, like the network is valuable because there are people, uh, who are writing the code to like make this possible who are building it. And so like that, that costs a lot of money. It takes a lot of resources to, uh, put it all together. And so in order to do that, there needs to be some incentive. We have to pay the devs. Uh, you know, we have to pay the business development and marketing and like, the people need to be compensated for working. 
And so to call HST rent seeking is basically saying that people should work for free, which is just something that, you know, as a capitalist, I don't believe in. Yeah, I think there has been <clears throat> some confusion around HST and exactly what it is. If we could float on that for just like one more minute, maybe. Uh, HST is basically a security token where part of the HNT emissions go to the people who initially funded the network and built the network. And Amir, I've seen you comment on this in public channels before defending HST. I personally understand the value of HST. What would you say, Amir, to people who say that, you know, HST is rent seeking or HST is you know, something that we could just vote away? And I think it's, of course, I'm biased here, but I think it's incredibly naive, right? That these networks take years and tens of millions of dollars to build. Um, in highly, highly risky environments. Um, and if there isn't a reward for those investors and those um, teams that build these networks, then no one would ever build the networks, right? And, and so I think the HST approach that we took, in my mind, is one of the most fair distributions to the team and investors that I've seen. Um, you know, lots of, of current large-scale projects out there have taken a sort of pre-mine approach and you could argue whether pre-mine is better than HST, but HST is sort of like a locked up pre-mine. It's, you know, like a 50 year lockup basically on, on tokens. Um, I don't think the percentage is unreasonable. I think it ends up being 20 something percent of all the, of the circulating supply when it's done. Um, and there's, you know, projects out there with 50% plus going to the, to the team and investors as part of a pre-mine. So. To me, it's it, like I said, you, you could never build this without some structure like it. So it's it's kind of a moot point to keep discussing it. Um, it would never have been built. We would never have been funded. We would have gone out of business. None of this would exist. Uh, and I think everyone sort of has to be has to be cognizant of the fact that th this took years to build and and was a very high risk proposition. Like in hindsight, now it looks easy, and everyone's like, "Well, I wish I could have invested." Uh, but at the time, you you wouldn't have because it was uh, there, there was so many unknowns and it was unclear if we would make it um, a, a lot of the time. So, um, yeah, and I I just I'm very thankful to the investors and the team, including including Tushar and others that sort of backed us on this journey because it was it was non-obvious. Uh, and at the time, the Helium crypto network was starting. I think we were in one of the worst crypto winter environments. Um, and so to bet on helium or, or any of the projects at that time was, was very risky and, and very contrarian. So it's important that everyone bears that in mind. It, lo it looks easy in hindsight, but at the time it definitely wasn't. All right, great. The next question is hip 52 introduces the concept of staking VH VHLT for, or against individual hotspots. How will hotspots be convicted of gaming proof of coverage? Tushar, do you want to start this and I'll pick it up? Sure. Uh, so what we were thinking here with this mechanism was how can we decentralize this process, uh, around the block list and you know, identifying people who are cheating or you know, spoofing on the network. Uh, so we came up with this mechanism where you can stake towards or against a certain hotspot. You can stake towards a hotspot to get some of its earnings. If you think it's a, going to be a particularly well-earning hotspot, the incentive here is really for people to stake to their own hotspots is, is going to be the most likely outcome uh, to boost their earnings, which I, I think can be a very powerful thing. Um, 
And it also helps the network understand because there is stake, there is signaling value to that stake. And so it helps the network understand, you know, where there might be value. And then the inverse is also true where staking against a hotspot means that you think it is doing something to harm the network. You think, you know, it should get rewarded less. Uh, and you're actively, you know, signaling that with your tokens. Uh, and so that will draw the attention of, you know, the, um, the committee that at the Helium Foundation that works on the deny list or the block list. Uh, and it will also, you know, have this linear effect on the number of challenges that, uh, a hotspot has. So I think this is a really good way to decentralize this process and allow the community to signal. That's right. And, and really this is, you know, as the network grows, um, you know, the, the, the number of hotspots that'll be out there will be way, will, will grow, you know, parabolically. Um, and, and that's what we want to happen. Um, and we, we don't want, uh, but, but, you know, the, the size of the team that's going to be focused on this is going to be really, really tactical. But I think what's, what will be interesting here is that, you know, providing data, um, like additional data, data sort of where attention should be paid, um, I think will, will be, will be useful. Um, also the other thing that I think that's interesting around, um, the sort of being able to vote for or, or stake for a hotspot. Um, that's in a particularly, um, you know, sort of novel coverage area. I think that's super interesting. I think, uh, you know, there are, uh, you know, there have been some concerns or like, are we incentivizing enough of the edges of cities or, or sort of new agricultural areas um, that like are truly providing novel coverage? You know, are we, are we doing enough there? I think this is an opportunity to look to really vote with, with, uh, with, a, with an asset and, and sort of enhance challenge rate in an area. And, and that's sort of the other side of this that I think is, is really interesting. This is going to be a really interesting change to see play out. Yeah. And, and, you know, I really, um, encourage the community to read hip 52 in its current form. Um, I think it, it sort of goes into detail around this. There's a question in the chat around, like, does it help the hotspot earn more? It's definitely addressed in there. Okay. This next question, I'm, I don't quite understand it, but I'm just going to read it as is. And if it makes sense to any of you, go for it. In HIP53, when addressing the bonding curve and the P equals S times uh, S to the K times 1.1, I believe, and the subsequent integral, it's unclear when MNT is being used and HNT is being used. Would love some clarification. Thanks. All right. Um, I'll, I'll go this time. Um, so one thing is HIP53 is being uh, updated uh, today. So um, so please um, have uh, give us a, a little bit of time to update it. Um, you know, some of these bonding curves uh, we're definitely a, you know, uh, g good for people that think in math terms, um, like me and Shayan and, and others, um, but terrible for literally every other human in the world. Um, so like, you know, first of all, like we, we definitely did some work to sort of improve that and, and sort of re reduce the complexity there. Um, and so uh, I think, I think definitely worth like looking at it. I think HIP 51 gives a, a good overview of what each programmatic treasury um, kind of looks at the, the, the fraction is, is, is simpler. Um, you know, the idea is that there's a total supply of the, of the subnetwork token divided by the amount of H and T that's in the treasury, right? That's the, that's the redemption price, uh, at least at the, at the core contract. And then as James mentioned earlier, there's a, you know, potential float price if there's, if there are other markets out there. Go ahead, Tisha. Yeah, I would just echo that. Um, that question 
it becomes no longer relevant with the updated version of HIP 53, which discards that formula. Well, that's about as clear as you can get. All right. This next question is a bit of a heavy hitter. Is there a contingency plan if these HIPs do not pass? We keep building the Laravel network, right? I mean, that, that's that's signal that the community is telling us if that's the case. Yeah. So want to ask like, why they didn't pass. I, I don't think uh, a vote would fail without you know, a lot of reasons being provided and the community discussion around it. So I think the context qualitatively would also be really critical. Is it just, oh, we want to rework these elements? Um, in which case we'd go back to rework them according to community feedback, um, or is it something else? Yeah, I guess maybe an assumption in this question that might not be correct is that there is one vote and if they don't pass it's done i think it's more complicated than that right there's a chance for revision and doing another vote maybe even multiple votes until there's a version of this move forward plan that the community is okay with yeah i look at not not entirely but major aspects of this sort of sprouted from the original sort of idea behind HIP 37 of what back then we used to call Omni protocol, um, sort of POC rewards and things like that. And how do you reward, you know, new protocols coming onto the network? Um, and you know, I think we've taken it a long way and in, in a positive way since then, but you know, that basic idea can go many different directions. Uh, I think we have a really good implementation. You know, there might be some improvements around the edges, but I think we have a really good implementation here with HIP 51 to HIP 53. But, um, you know, as uh, these guys have sort of commented on, it's not like, you know, we can't try something. We can't continue to iterate and can't continue to improve. Um, I think we'll want to get this hip to a point of pretty solid community support um, before it goes to vote because it is such a major... So change to the network, but um, I, I think we're in a pretty solid space or spot right now. Yeah, it might be worth like, uh, it, it's only been a couple of months since the first version of this thing came out. But if you look at the first version versus today's version, it's, it's, it's sort of an enormous change even. And that was intentional, right? Like it's, it is important to build and talk about these things in the public. I get feedback, iterate on it and, and, you know, really build something that the community really um, can get behind. Yeah, I think that's something to recognize is that we're in a new stage of Helium where it's not like there's this Helium company and whatever comes out of it comes out, they're issuing the chain VARs and whatever happens, happens. It's very quickly shifted towards build in the open, get public feedback, test things out weeks or months before they need to actually be voted on and implemented, which I think is a more decentralized and better version of Helium. But I think maybe some people aren't aware that that shift has occurred. All right, we've got one more question from the forum. So I'd like to invite now anyone who wants to ask voice questions to the panel, please raise your hands. Again, this is being recorded. If you don't want to be recorded, please don't ask a voice question. But otherwise, you can also type a question in the AMA questions channel. And I will start taking voice questions uh, I will start inviting people to ask voice questions after this next question. So the final question from the forum is, 
Are these DAOs going to be DAO LLCs registered in Wyoming? What are the legal implications of that type of entity structure? And will any of the new sub-DAOs have to adhere to any specific entity structure to be accepted as a sub-DAO? It's a good question. Um, so I, I'll chime in here. I, I think the use of the phrase DAO and sub-DAO is uh, more descriptive than it is meant to be a legal term. Uh, this is, you know, we're thinking more from a technology perspective. The reality is these things are all networks that are connected by code. Uh, and there's no plans to, you know, incorporate entities for this. Uh, you know, we have the Helium Foundation, which is the nonprofit foundation that helps manage and coordinate um, the community for the entire Helium network. Um, and I think, you know, that that's like the coordination entity, um, but not expecting these sub-DAOs to be legal entities, uh, expecting that these are networks that are connected by code. Yep, definitely a bit of a legal gray area there. Alrighty, let's take some voice questions. We got John Mac 50 and Lodrag. Welcome to the stage. John, since I said your name first, why don't you go first? All right, thank you. Um, so first, huge thanks to the Helium team. You guys are incredible and you know, doing the unprecedented. Really, really appreciate everything you guys are doing. So quick question regarding regarding the new tokens that are gonna be generated. Um, what kind of smart contract functionality does the team intend to implement? So for example, like with with habings and things like that that we currently have with the H and T smart contract. So what what kind of similar or different functionalities does, does the team like plan to implement on a, on a smart contract level? I uh, I think it depends on sort of a, as I answered in the the, the other question. Like I, I think the starting version of uh, at least what I would like the starting version of HIP fifty one and two and three to be is fairly simple and on the current chain just so that we can actually get started and, you know, particularly begin, um, you know, mining and earning for um, the 5G network. So it, most likely it will look very similar to the way it looks today, where there isn't an expressive, you know, smart contract environment or anything like that. These are just sort of hard-coded transaction types. Um, I, I do think it probably makes sense to evaluate other L1 alternatives. Um, and obviously there, there's a lot of them out there and they all have various uh, pros and cons. And so I, I think uh, a little bit of the answer depends on where, where we end up in that stage, right? But I think for now, the focus is like, how do we, how do we enable the programmatic treasury? How do we enable the new, uh, how do we enable the protocol score? How do we issue the two new tokens? And how do we get mining really started for um, the cellular network to, to me are... Um, the most important sort of immediate steps. And then I think some of the rest of the questions can be can be answered later, depending on what the technology stack looks like. Like if we end up using Cosmos, it will be one set of things. If we ended up on Solana, there would be a different set of, of, of options there. Or if we ended up on Avalanche or like whatever other chain. Um, so I, I think there there's there's a lot to figure out o over time, but the priority I think in, in my opinion, at least should just be to get on with it and figure out how to get the two new tokens started. Yeah, and to provide a little Thank more color there like you know the the current chain is not a smart contract chain um it is uh you know each each one of the transaction types um have an explicit action on the ledger um and that's sort of what we're thinking about with uh you know kind of an early implementation of this um it would just be you know two new ledgers right for for these two new balances and then 
the sort of rules around the consensus rules that sort of drive the programmatic treasury and, and the, and the redemption contract and things like that. Alrighty. Thank you, John, for the question. Lodrag, you're up. Hey, man. Thanks. Appreciate it, guys. Uh, what, uh, was coming to my head when I, and I'm still trying to grab my head around how it's going to work, but, uh, I was wondering if you could describe to the room, if you guys have any in-depth thinking on it, any vulnerabilities that somebody could exploit in this. And the reason that I asked that is because if you are able to dedicate, um, BEH and T to a project, couldn't like somebody, uh, submit a lot to a project to generate. I think you got cut off there, but I think you're asking, can submit, can someone submit or delegate a lot of VHNT to a project to maybe increase its share of HNT going to the treasury? You're taking a stab at the question, uh, or at least the portions of it that, that I heard, uh, which is, yes, the intention is that HNT owners can stake towards a sub DAO to signal value for that sub DAO. Uh, you know, we did some modeling around this to understand you know, the possible threat vectors and the threat vectors here are the same as they are of any proof of stake network, right? If someone controls, uh, too much of the stake, then they can do some weird things, but also they're not incentivized to. So, you know, anyone who is staking a large amount of the HMT to any sub DAO is locked into that HMT for a long period of time, right? And, and the reason why the lockups are so long is to make sure that people can't borrow HMT to then go and, you know, play any games with the protocol score or other mechanisms. So that's one of the most important safety features of this proposal is that VHMT starts with a minimum of like a six month lockup, right? Or, you know, whatever the number of blocks is. Uh, and so because of that, uh, you can't borrow to go and manipulate scores or do anything like that. You are locked into the outcomes for the network over that period of time. And so it's really not in your incentive to go and you know, stake all that capital, put all that capital at risk for a long period of time to then go do something malicious, which would then hurt your ownership. So I think there'll be some, um, return seeking as far as uh as far as vhnt rewards coming from the from the sub dial where um if there's outsized amount of vhnt dedicated to a specific sub dial uh it's actually sort of behooves people to put their vhnt into other sub dials that the ratio between vhnt and the other components of protocol score um are uh at more of an equilibrium or you know there's a lack of vehmt compared to the rest of the protocol score you have to sort of work through the math but you know you can think of each part of the protocol score as a multiplier and um let's say vehmt has a multiplier of two and the rest of it has a multiplier of um three um and then all of a sudden that that first multiplier goes up to you know a hundred um and the second part of the equation stays at three um the rewards per the ehnt don't really increase um versus let's say another sub dow has uh has 
the non-VEHNT part of the protocol score equals six or 10, um, there'll, there'll be more rewards per VEHNT dedicated to that compared to the, the protocol that has sort of this outweighted amount of, of, of VEHNT. So as long as there is some sort of market, free market forces that drive VEHNT towards um, sort of an ROI um, as far as distributions go, I, I think the market will sort of handle uh, VEHNT uh, to a certain degree. If, if it was a pure return-seeking market and nobody was dedicating VEHNT specifically to boost a protocol, um, VEHNT should sort of be a non-factor in the equation. It's the other factors that will sort of drive uh, uh, which of the protocols get VEHNT. I don't know if any of that made sense, but if you need help looking at the math, just let me know. It made sense to me. Uh, that, that was a good way to think about it. I haven't thought about it that way. <laughs> so Lodrag followed up in AMA questions because their audio isn't working. And the question is, so what if someone wants to kill a competitor by stealing rewards via staking more VHNT? Uh, again, I think the free market will drive VHNT to the protocols that are creating value via the other components of the protocol score. So, you know, there's very few actors in this market that have individually a, mater the, a, a material enough amount of HNT that the larger market couldn't, you know, sort of move in another direction and negate what they're trying to do. And as stated in HIP51, VHNT is non-transferable. So whichever layer one solution we end up at is going to have to support that non-transferability where it's locked into the wallet from which the HNT was originally staked. Uh, all of the major smart contract platforms support this type of functionality. Like this is live on Solana today. It's live on Ethereum today. Uh, th this is not a weird thing. The key difference, the, the key thing here is like when you lock up your HNT, do you get a token back or is it just like a voucher in a contract? Uh, and yeah, there's just a technical difference there. If it's a voucher in the contract, there, you don't have any tokens to transfer. Um, there's a lot more nuances. I, I should probably let uh, Abai or uh, Amir comment on this, but I think it's definitely possible because I've seen it. Yeah, it's 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 possible. We just have to write write it, or you know, that's that, that's uh, it is the, the pattern has been kind of written and the sort of trail has been blazed before, right? Like the curve tokens and the Tribeca tokens are kind of known um, in other chains. And so I think that's, uh, we don't, we're not inventing anything like super new here. Yeah. And I guess whatever is created will probably, probably be optimized for functionality and also taxes because things get kind of um, unfavorable when you start swapping tokens for other tokens. Yeah. I'm a big proponent exactly. of not having on-chain tokens where you don't need on-chain tokens because exactly that, that it's one thing to have state tokens that aren't really changing form factors versus, you know, you're getting this type of token and you're losing this other type of token or you're getting this other type of token on top of that. Granted, the VHNT, because of the non-transferability, should be valueless at the end of the day. So I, I'm not sure it really applies, but there's there's no real way to assign value to that because outside of yeah, the value of what it provides you as a voting mechanism um, because there's no way to sell it or anything like that. All right, digging a little bit into the AMA questions channels, 
Max asked a little while ago, what steps will be taken to ensure that if we move to another chain, that choice is made because that new L1 is the best option for Helium and not because it's influenced by any other investments made in other chains? This question sounds like multi-coins invested in Solana. How do we make sure we don't pick Solana? Um, but I, I think re like the real answer here is that um, we need to do a little bit more of a evaluation. Like obviously at the time when we started Helium, there wasn't a whole lot around. Like I think we started work in 17. Um, so you could really only have used Ethereum and, and that landscape has changed a lot over the years. Um, so it, the reason again, that I'm advocating for the approach that, that I want to take where, you know, we just sort of start with the MVP version of a thing, um, is partially so that we, we have time to evaluate some of the other options like there, there's so much out there now and and we've been so busy building and firefighting and everything that I, I don't think any of us here on the team are experts of any of the other options right now um so we, we've started to learn you know we're, we're in touch with a lot of the different l1 project teams and and i've been getting a lot of feedback and advice and um learning sort of the pros and cons of of those those chains and so i don't know what the right scientific answer to that question is other than uh, I think we'll just from an engineering point of view want to make the decision that's the best decision um, to enable the functionality that we need um, and we don't really care about much else quite, quite honestly yeah I think from an independent perspective it's clear that there are multiple options here it's not like Solana is the necessarily best fit or default option I think Cosmos SDK clearly has things to offer the modularity and the, the scalability has been proven with the Terra blockchain I mean RIP obviously but that didn't die because the blockchain was bad. <laughs> there were other things going on there. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure, I hope the team will evaluate all options and continue forward with whatever is the best fit also that will help us get it done as fast as possible. Sort of a side question from me to the more technical people here. The Cosmos SDK, you would still be building effectively your own L1 just using the SDK versus sort of building on top of a Solana or Ethereum or whatever it may be. Is that an accurate sort of representation of how the Cosmos SDK works? Yeah, there's sort of two ways to integrate with Cosmos, and this might be getting way in the weeds here, but you know, at a very high level, you can either build your own chain that uses Cosmos and, and Tendermint and, and, and they sort of integrate very directly, or you can build you know, your own sort of mechanism and use and implement IBC and then convince every one of those other sort of networks um, either there's sort of it's a graph of networks and so you have to convince all of that to support your your bits of IBC um, with Solana it's more monolithic um, and and you sort of support and everything sort of lives on a single chain um, and that's by design you know ethereum has a bunch of layer twos all sort of have their own rules and and their own sort of ways to settle to the layer one um, but these are all things that we've you know we're, we're starting to look at and as Amir said we're, we're just trying to spend but we're we're trying to uh, in a way, get get everything at the same time. Like we want these tokens to exist, and we want the five G network to grow uh, today, right? And that, and we already have a few folks that have put up five G small cells. We know that there are plenty of others who are about to, um, and we want to make sure that network grows, um, sort of independently of the sort of large technical lift that it would take to you know consider another chain. Um, so that's uh, what we are we're trying to do both. And then Max just wanted me to ask the follow-up to this, which is on the flip side, 
Will disclosures be made about partial ownership in any of these companies and projects applying to be new sub-DAOs before the Helium DAO vote to allow them to join? Will those owners be expected to recuse themselves from that vote? Not exactly sure how to answer that question because I feel like it's loaded in a way. Um, but like ultimately, like, you know, the votes happen on chain right now. Um, and uh, you can certainly see the wallets that are voting uh, on our, you know, through, through a current mechanism that we have. And I know there are other proposals of voting that are out there. Um, yeah, I, I think that's like the lightest answer I can provide. Uh, I don't know if James, Tushar. Well, I was just going to say, I think like context is needed here or like an example of what this, you know, company or organization that would gain a lot of value from being a DNP. I, I don't, are they talking about sort of the L1 that it's built on? I, I, this question didn't just be sort of interpreted in many, many different ways. I, I, I'm not sure without context or an example. Or, I mean, it's a little necessarily answering it. It's also a little bit tricky because um, you, you can't. A lot of this is is going to be anonymous, right? Like if I, um, like if I buy a bunch of tokens in a in a thing, like look look at Boring Protocol for for example, right? Like I, I'm not sure if there's a way to prove that someone owns a lot of BOP, for example, b beforehand. Um, like I could, I could have ten million BOP for for all anyone knows, and just not not tell you. Um, and so I'm not. It, although you know, I see Elon Tusk saying pretty straightforward conflict of interest question. It's kind of different in in a sort of anonymous token world because there's not really a you know paper trail necessarily for some of these transactions. So in theory, I think it makes it, it makes some sense. Like we we should obviously be careful that people aren't that it's not too pay to play. Here, I, I suppose I'm just not sure how you would actually implement it, knowing that most of the ownership can be can be anonymous. But it's a good question, a reasonable question, I think. So Paul M asks, how would running on someone else's L1 work with transaction fees? All these POC transactions are fee free today. Who would pay the ETH, SOL, etc. fees? I think we kind of answered it in the in the chat in real time, but I think optimally you would you would kind of roll things up, right? So so today. Um, if you thought about LoRaWAN, for example, and imagine that we were running on, you know, Solana just for a second, uh, you would have all of the existing machinery there as the LoRaWAN sub-DAO that sort of exists today. Uh, so you wouldn't be writing every single transaction to the L1 chain. You would be doing most of it on the L2, and then you would be rolling up very few transactions into the L1, if, if that makes sense, right? So you just sort of capture the state of the sub-DAO periodically and and updated on the L1. Um, so that that's like a simple way of thinking about it, right? So that you're not sending thousands of POC transactions per second or per block or, or whatever. Uh, you're actually doing most of that in the sub-DAO and then you're sort of sending one state update to the L1, so to speak. That's that's one way to do it. It's sort of a simple, a simplified version of how like most L2, you know, roll-up solutions work on like Ethereum or something like that. So I think we'd like to do the same thing like we have sort of a skeleton prototype of how that system would work with with LoRaWAN um so i think there's still some some work to figure out there but certainly on some of the chains like Solana specifically the, the fees are are minimal um so i think if we combine both of those things we we should be fine yeah i get that like we what well, we need to sort of provide to the l1 is context that's required for the utility score 
and for the emissions that need to happen for the L1, because we assume that all those L1, to all the tokens for each subnetwork is living on the L1's ledger, right? So, you know, a single roll-up transaction, kind of like our rewards transaction today that lets us say, you know, mint this much, today we say mint this much HNT at this account, instead it would be mint this much HLT at, at this other account. Um, and, and so that's, that's kind of what would roll up. I agree with all of that. I mean, you know, I, I hope that the transaction fees are low, but we also included a mechanism in HIP 52 and there will be a similar mechanism in HIP 53 where some of the emissions of the subdow tokens go to an operations fund and that can be used to fund, you know, whatever low amount of transaction fees amongst many other things. So it's a more flexible pool of capital that can be used to incentivize, uh, you know, hotspot deployments in particular areas that uh, make sense or, uh, other purposes as well, but the primary use case could be to help pay the transaction fees. As much of a Solana maxi as I am, that this discussion has me fantasizing about Cosmos and how seamless the voting module is in the Terra ecosystem and how many different types of voting that there are, um, seems to work really well. It's kind of pre-built. Yeah. Cosmos is super, is super cool actually. And, um. You know, I, I think just for clarity, like one of the things that we really want to try and accomplish with looking at an alternative L1 is that uh, we get to participate in that ecosystem a little bit more, right? Like today, HNT very much on an island, right? Like if for using an example, like for an exchange to integrate, HNT is a ton of work, right? Because HNT is unique. It doesn't look like any other token. Um, there are no wallets other than the ones that we build and there are no... Um, there's no DeFi ecosystem because, you know, there's no DeFi ecosystem in Helium. And so I, I think that's a, a huge part of it. And the Cosmos uh, design is actually really, really elegant where you you get to run your own chain and it's sort of interconnected with other chains using this IBC protocol. Um, so that might be a cool way to solve all of the problems at the same time. Uh, but, it, but you know, still, we we have a lot of research, I think, to do there. We're, we're relatively clueless. Um, on the Cosmos side, although we are now well connected in with the Cosmos team and, and they're being helpful sort of explaining explaining how this all works and we're talking to other project teams. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really cool, it's a really cool design. I actually really wasn't aware of how cool it was until I started looking at it recently. Yeah, I just want to chime in. I am also a big fan of Cosmos. Um, so excited to see what happens. So next question is, for HIP 51 and 52, for current miners, what happens to current HNT holdings past this point? What will it take to turn future LoRaWAN earnings into the HNT we earn today? Oh, I missed the question. I was reading the chat scroll back, which is starting to pick up. <laughs> he was just asking like, how to convert the subdow token into HNT um, or you know, be able to continue earning HNT. And you could use the uh the automatic liquidity protocol to you know convert into hnt whenever you want there's been discussions of giving people that option so it's occurring automatically i don't know what that will you know whether that will make it to implementation on v1 or or whatever but um you should always have the sort of one-to-one -one option of you know converting back to hnt uh without without any issues uh, yeah, so that's, that's exactly right. Like, you know, there will always be an on-chain mechanism for redeeming the subnetwork token for HNT that's available in the programmatic treasury. Um, so that, that's a, de a default. Um, you know, certainly if other 
markets uh, are available that's uh, not on our chain, you know, that's another place where you could you could sort of exchange um, the you know a, a Lorawan token for a HNT or something like that, or, or for whatever else. Um, so yeah, that that that'll be there. Um, this idea of an like kind of automatic earning of HNT was an idea that we put up, put into the hip. You know, this would require uh, it, this. This is kind of a a user experience um, sort of feature, in my opinion, right? Like there are folks that have been earning HNT for the last two and a half years, almost three years, and they might prefer to just continue to earn HNT. And so, you know, if um, I don't know if it'll be in the V1, but it's definitely something that you know. You can very, we should at least make it very, very simple in the wallet to press a button and, um, and, and make, you know, whatever you have into HNT. And in fact, we will do that. And also if you have one of the subnetwork tokens and you're actually using the network and you want to burn into data credits, we should make that very, very simple for you to do that. And, and that is a, that is sort of a UX challenge that, um, wallets should take on at the very least. And, you know, we will certainly put that into the Helium wallet. Elmo asks. 5G proof of coverage requires HIP 53 to pass. What's the plan if 51 through 53 don't pass? Do we have to wait until they do, or is there a workaround? Uh, I think just go back to the prior question around like, why didn't it pass, right? And, and is there an iteration that we need to do to, to sort of bring, bring the community to align towards the goal of, uh, you know, 5G being possible on this network? Yeah, I think also, look, there's some things that we could do in between here like check out the helium go channel in the in this discord we're working on a, a game basically that will allow people to participate in 5g witnessing and that could be considered you know a type of poc reward that is built entirely off chain and that could be taken farther than it currently is which well it's, it's not even developed yet but it could go pretty far without any of these hips having been formalized or passed or implemented I'm just going to throw this one in because I think maybe the question asker thinks it's controversial, but I don't know. I'm, I'm maybe it's not as controversial as they think, but, uh, elephant equals PCN question mark. Basically is Paul and the elephant in the room. The elephant in what context? It's literally the entire question. That's, it's not a, it's not a quality <laughs> question. I, I don't know how to answer that one. What about Paul? And I'm, I'm just not sure what the question is. Like we, we've obviously announced fight the 5g stuff a long time ago before i think we had even heard of Colin. um so yeah I'm not, I'm not sure what's being asked here exactly keith r says i think the question is is pollen beating us at our own game yeah i mean you know i like i said i i think what they're i've answered this one before to someone in the community like i i think it's cool to see the sort of space grow and i, I use the example of um like, I don't think the L1 space would be as big if it were just Ethereum, for example, right? Like, I think having Solana and Avalanche and, you know, Polkadot and, and I would have said Luna, but, you know, like all, all of the other competitors in that space has made that universe bigger. Um, so I, I don't think of it in, in that way. Like, it's a massive opportunity in a massive space. And um, I, like, I would be shocked if we were the only one and I'd be... I'd be shocked if, if Pollen was the only other one. I, I expect there to be like many, many um, people sort of trying to do the same thing. And I, I've heard that the Helium 4, you know, X like a whole bunch of times since I've been here in Palm Beach at this conference. And so, yeah, it's not, it's, Pollen's not going to be the last group of people, you, you know, trying to, to build decentralized wireless networks. And I, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah. And to tie it to this specific conversation, 
they're just a different point in development compared to helium. I'm not putting any sort of judgment on that, like saying it's good or bad or anything like that. They just are. They're currently building in sort of a centralized fashion. And these hips are about how do we maximally decentralize this architecture that we have here? So simply different stages of development. Yeah, I would agree yeah. with that. And I would also say that this is market validation. It, it's competition is a good thing. Um, we should want competition. It means that, you know, other smart people also think this is a really good idea. Uh, so, you know, I, I actually see this as a very positive thing. It is the decentralized wireless industry maturing. You don't have DeFi with one DeFi protocol. Uh, and so, uh, I agree with Amir on his L1 comment as well. Uh, we are growing the pie and I think we need to keep our eyes aligned on the goal, which is to provide access and, uh, connectivity to everyone, um, as quickly as possible. And so it's not a red ocean where we're competing against each other. We're growing outwards. Yeah. And interestingly, now there's all this discussion in AMA questions about, you know, let's have Pollen or, or other competitors join as sub DAOs. I mean, there was a recent interview with the founder of Pollen where he said he'd like to mo work more closely with Helium. So I think if there is a lot of community will, you know, it's not something that's entirely out of the question. But of course, there are a lot of fine green details to this entire proposition that aren't really relevant to the discussion here. Yeah, and there's, you know, and there are others, like someone mentioned Airscale. Yeah, I'm actually not familiar with those guys, uh, but I, I know at least another, one other um, attempt at, at building CBRS networks. And uh, I actually think it's great because one of the challenges with CBRS today is that there isn't that much hardware yet because no one is deploying it at scale. So the costs are still relatively high. So as we've seen with, um, you know, the Helium LoRa network, like that, demand like that created sort of an unprecedented demand for LoRa hardware uh, and I think in CPRS like we we need the same kind of pull in order to get um you know the supply chain moving there and to get um uh, to get the cost of the hardware down as much as as much as possible but yeah no like it's I I, I continue to think it's cool like I've I've spoken to Anthony about Pollen a, a number of times and I I I like what they're doing and I I like the as Tushar said the the validation um behind the idea it's like clearly the right way to do this and I, like i said i expect there to be many many more coming down the, the pipeline i'm glad to hear all of that this is kind of why i wanted to toss this question into the ring is because i think it's almost like people think it's something we shouldn't talk about or maybe it's something that's controversial or you know is a taboo subject to bring up but it's such a small industry everyone's talking to each other no one's trying to like make enemies this early on when we haven't even definitively proven that, you know, a scalable 5G decentralized wireless network can be built, right? So we're all sort of trying to prove that together, whether it's Pollen, whether it's Helium, any effort towards that goal is positive for all of us. For what it's worth, if you want to do a Pollen Discord chat, you'd see a lot of the same faces that are here. There's a massive amount of overlap between the two projects, and I think you know, the long-term goal of, uh, at the community level is aligned. And I, I've, I've been very public about how I, I think they can operate very synergistically and help each other in many, many ways, which, you know, Amir has spoken with about some of them, but, um, I, I, I don't think we can even foresee some of the ways that, you know, a 
group of decentralized uh, wireless networks that are meaningful could help each other and help move the macro market in a way that benefits all projects. All right. I want to invite anyone to throw in any more Hit 51 through Hit 53 questions you might have. Uh, this is the time, right? The authors are here. Voice questions, please raise your hands. If you want have a written question, please type it in AMA questions. Yes, yeah, so, so G Telnet has one that I've seen asked before, which is a good one, uh, which is there have been discussions on whether existing validators would be moved to L2 or remain on L1. What are the current thoughts on this and how do we ensure that their investment in the greater Helium network does not get downgraded to just an investment in a single sub-DAO? Uh, so I, like I said, I think for step one, this is going to be moot, right? Like I think we're going to have to keep the same um, infrastructure in place, which means the same validators and the same, you know, overall structure and just add, um, add two more tokens and, and the distribution using the, uh, the protocol score into the mix for the next step. I think it gets a little bit more complicated. Um, my personal view is that we probably shouldn't force anyone to do anything. Right. So, uh, if validators at the L1 went away, for, for example, because we moved to like a Solana, um, then I think we, we should collectively as a community figure out what to do with, with people that have staked with a certain expectation. Uh, if we move to Cosmos, for example, we would run our own validators again as, as a network. And so, you know, presumably there's an easy migration path there for existing validators to those validators. So I, I think there's a lot of questions there that are some, some are technical in nature, like the ones I just mentioned. Like if you're on Solana as an L1, then you, you don't really have sort of L1 validators anymore. Um, so that, that requires a different answer. And then if we end up using something like Cosmos, then we still do have L1 validators, you know, so there, there are questions there. Um, and I think we would want to try and figure out a migration path that made sense and sort of present it to the community and perhaps even, even vote on it if that was, um, if it was something that had a big economic impact like that. But I think, like I said, for now, just very focused on like, how do we get to, how do we get to step one? Hopefully it was a good enough answer. All right, uh, Greg, but the G is silent. Uh, okay, so your name is Re. Re asks, what kind of timeline can we expect on 51 to 53? Voting, deployment, et cetera. Hips are great, but unless voted on, don't go anywhere. So I think uh, I can start the answer to this. Um, so there's a couple of things, you know, obviously these AMAs are uh, kind of a user education step that's, I think, required. You know, we have an enormous community. Um, the audiences are very different, right? They're the people that are active on Discord versus the people that sort of come into Discord every few weeks versus the people that are only on Twitter or only on Reddit or only on I know, whatever. They, they, they only see things when it gets sent as a push notification in their wallet app, right? They're, they're sort of all the different uh, audiences. And like, you know, one of the things that I think is important with such a fundamental change to our network, which is what this series of HIPS is proposing, is that we just need to have education out there. Um, I I would uh, I would be sad if we didn't have a lot of voting uh, participation, at least by like pure by wallet count or or by amount of HNT that's being voted with. So you know I, I want to make sure that we we do the work to educate first. Um, and so there'll be a couple of things uh, I know coming from the foundation over the next couple of weeks to make sure that's being done before a vote's being called. Um, but as, as Tushar said, you know, HIP 51 at this point is, um, is sort of word complete, but not code complete. Um, and, 
And I think that's, um, that's sort of the first step here. All right. Uh, Lodrag with another question, which is, would a Polkadot parachain auction be worth winning to put Helium on our model after? Just looking for a comparison with Cosmos, et cetera. Yeah, I was about to answer this in chat. Um, but you know, I, I also mentioned earlier, like I, I don't know enough about parachains to be honest, to like probably answer this fully intelligently. Um, but you know, the, so I think, I think I just need to do more research. Um, I, I understand there's like a limited set of parachains. You need to win an auction to be considered. You could like, you know, there, there's sort of two nets that are, that are potential. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of technical detail there that we would need to understand. Personally, I think it's a little crazy that helium would like need to compete to get onto a chain. Like I think there's a lot of, uh, projects that would recognize that helium brings a massive amount of value to them. And, you know, if anything, they should be sort of competing for helium rather than helium the other way around. But, um, at the end of the day, if, you know, whatever is makes the most technical sense, I think should win, but it, but the, the whole parachain model bugs me a little bit. It's, it's, I've seen it sort of play out in one or two other chains and it just, it takes a long time and it, it just feels like a, you know, uh, like a dog and pony show a little bit to, to get approved for a parachain. And I think there's some like cost of the chains to it, which all of that just bugs me a little bit, but I don't know if they're technically superior, maybe none of that matters. Yeah. I mean, if there's. I think one thing is, you know, our core team, core devs right now is a very small group and, you know, we're obviously also prioritizing things like light hotspots, making sure that that complete it, completes, um, you know, this idea of building this thing on our, uh, on our layer one, um, is a priority and, uh, you know, we want to sort of start the implementation at least to understand what it looks like on our L1, um, and then sort of have that as an option for the community to, to get started on, you know, 5G mining, which I think is something that a lot of people in the community want. All right. I'm not seeing really any questions related directly to hit 51 to 53 and no one's raised their hand at this very moment. So if there are any other questions that anyone sees in the AMA questions channel that you'd like to answer, uh, you know, you, you can have the floor for that. Otherwise, I think we'll wrap up. Cool. Well, thank you, everyone. I actually have to, to leave now also. But um, this was great. Yeah, thank really you, everyone. Thank you all. Thanks, Thanks for moderating. Yeah, thanks, Armand. Really appreciate it. And all the mods for, for popping in the chat channels. Yes, thank yep, you. absolutely. Yeah, thanks, everyone, for coming today. I think this was really productive. And hopefully we answered a lot of questions that need to be answered. We're going to continue to do stuff like this. HIP 51 through 53 are complicated and this community education is what is necessary for the votes to eventually pass and for us all to come to a place of mutual understanding in order to evaluate any revisions that might occur in the future. So if you are listening to this and you're deep on 51 to 53, please do whatever you can to educate the people around you who are active community members and are interested in voting on it. There's a lot to dig into. If you haven't dug in, please at least check out the hips. They can be intimidating, but you know, the easiest way to get to a point of understanding is to just start. So thank you to everybody uh, who joined. Y'all are great. Thanks for the good questions. Thanks to the panelists. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for tuning into The Hotspot. If you love our content, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to maximize your impact, leave your honest review on Apple Podcasts. Your support helps us reach more listeners and educate them about the Helium Network.